welcome to Empowerment Radio. My name is Dr. Friedman, and I'm so glad that you decided to join me. Empowerment Radio is about giving you the insights, tools, and solutions to address some of the most challenging aspects of our daily lives. So sit back, relax, and empower yourself. Welcome to Empowerment Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Friedman, and you know how much I love to talk fear and anxiety. But today we don't talk about fear and anxiety. Well, maybe in a roundabout way. Today we're going to talk about another, we could say, equally or maybe even more potent emotion, which many say, well, there's only fear or there is love. Love is in the air in February. Anyhow, it's not so far away from uh, Valentine's Day. And so the topic is about love. And uh, I have invited again my very dear friend and guest and author, uh, Gary Saylor, that uh, he was here a year ago to really discuss what he found about love and working with couples for many years, writing a fabulous book about love and relationship, which is called Safe to Love Again, how to release the pain uh, of past relationships and create the love you deserve. But because we had him on already, today I'm going to challenge him with all the difficult questions that have been coming up in my practice, having worked with many people that, especially right now, are really struggling with love. I mean, if there is a lot of stuff that doesn't go really well during COVID, whether it's our health, our finances, one of the things that really is very much suffering during the times that we are under lockdown or dealing with this enormous pressure it's our love life. So we need help. And I'm so glad that the help is here. So Gary, thank you so much for being here on the show. Thank you, Friedman. It's great being back. <laughs> this is like a long year, doesn't it? <laughs> I know. It seems like a, we just talked about it. It's amazing how 2020 was a little bit like a blur. And uh, well, we hopefully going to tie it nicely back together and hopefully soon this whole COVID misery will also be out of our lives. But in the meantime, we need help because a lot of relationships were either falling apart or challenged. And a lot of people equally had a hard time finding a relationship. Yeah. Before we go to all of my difficult questions for you, I want to start with one. Is love in general enough to make a relationship work? Is love enough? I don't believe it is. I mean, I've seen countless couples who deeply love each other. Sometimes there can be misalignment on core values, right? If one person wants a 5,000 square foot house in the burbs and the other one wants to live in, a, in the woods in a teepee, you know, unless you've got a very big living room <laughs> to put the teepee, <laughs> you've got a problem, right? Um, but, and sometimes it's, you know, they love each other, but they're what you know. I call their their own attachment wounds are constantly battling, and without the skills or the rights for a better relationship, you know, they they tend to settle into these repeating patterns that, even though they love each other, they're they're terribly stressful. And then some part says, 
you know, surely this can't be love. So while love is the one thing I look for when I work for couples, do they still love each other? They wouldn't have come to me if it was enough. <laughs> so what is a typical sign or what are typical signs that couples need help? How would they know? I mean, besides the obvious, you know, where there is abuse involved, but let's say, I think a lot of couples have been feeling right now, oh, we were totally fine before COVID because we barely saw each other or we had our own circle of friends, beautiful distractions going on. Now we were stuck together. I have to look at you and see what you're actually doing and what you're about. And I don't really like it. And so what would you say are signs that you see people struggle with that make them come to you? Well, <clears throat> it's last year I had 10 couples come to me during COVID. And it was all related to the amount of pressure that couples feel because, you know, we're supposed to have a, you know, go out and separate and do our own thing and, you know, be able to pursue our dreams and our goals and our career and come back to the home port of somebody's heart, to a we. We go out, we come back. We go out and come back. Well, couples, you know, when you have to shelter in place, they're always under each other's feet. They get no right to go out. They're constantly there. And the pattern that I saw in all these couples was, and five of them had 30-year marriages, 30-year hmm. marriages, but they had been using distractions, the children, the careers, you know, and even they knew they had their issues. But, you know, if I go to the gym and I cut down my time <laughs> at night, we can bear it. But when you're underfoot 24-7, suddenly you're seeing those residual issues and distractions don't work anymore. And now it feels the weight of 10, 20, 30 years of dealing with that comes crashing down on that couple. And they feel like, oh my God, this will never change. And do they more often fight or more often feel like we're not really connected at all? We don't even talk? Or what, what patterns do you see that makes couples, I mean, for every couple out there listening, just to have some kind of an indication, yep, your relationship is a little bit in trouble, you should need help. So what, what would be such an indication? Well, I, I would say there's three of them. One of them is when you're, you're battling and, and sniping and snipping over little things and big things. But It used to be big things, and now you're just nibbling in each other all the time in snarky ways, and it's coming out sideways, and it's like a never-ending stream of snarkiness, right? Mm -hmm. And the other one is when, you know, suddenly the you realize there are enormous feelings that have been backlogged for so long, and when you try to finally talk about it, you finally, you know, okay, we really have had this issue for 25 years. You can't talk. Uh, one won't listen. It gets to be so touchy because both people are so raw after 25 years that the slightest mention of the issue that they've been distracting creates enormous big blowups. And you can't talk about it. You can't even, you know, broach the subject. And your feelings feel hurt, and neither person feels their feelings can be heard because they're so, you know, backlogged on both. It's mm -hmm. just higher than. You know, the wattage is higher than needs to be, so to speak, right? And both people feel electrocuted if they go near the third, the third wire <laughs> of that, right. right? And then the fourth one is when they just retreat into his office, her office, and there's the distance 
And so if they couldn't use distraction, now the distance seems like a frozen tundra in the middle of the living room. Uh, those are the three things. Um, and then sometimes and, just a realization. They can all happen at the same time, right? This is not like one exclusive for the other. Now, would you say that, uh, you know, you mentioned the we, yes. that one of the things that all of these three signs have in common is that the we is kind of malnourished or pretty much not existent anymore. And what yeah. is the we anyhow? <laughs> <laughs> well, the we is, I write in my book, the core of any relationship you know, is the we, you know, when I work with couples, yes, I've got two clients, right? But my real client is between their heads. It's the we that's between them. And, and I've said multiple times before, you show me a couple without a we and I'll show you a war, right? Or distance, you know, without that we, people feel lonely. They don't feel they have the backup they need. And we all need belonging. Without a we, it's just two me's doing their separate things, going their separate ways. And at some point in time, that feels, it doesn't feel like the intimacy that we all want. So the we is that space of shared energy where both people are committed to something that's bigger than their own agendas, bigger than their own needs. And there's this mutual sharing and commitment and prioritization that our relationship is more important than all the other things. Sometimes I have to tell uh, a couple, it's often uh, a man <laughs> that I have to say, you can be right or you can be in a relationship. He's mm. valuing being right over the relationship, but it's where the there is a, a shared commitment um, that actually protects each other's interests better than if they were defending them by themselves. Hmm. So what is a healthy we? Is a, how do you know that you have a healthy, well-taken-care-of we? Okay. Well, you know, I, I always start off with, in my book, I talk about these four feelings. Every we mm -hmm. deserve. You know, you've got to be able to welcome each other with joy. When you wake up in the morning, she say, good morning, gorgeous. Good morning, handsome. And you welcome them in back in their life. Everybody's got to feel worthy to reach out for their needs. It's okay to ask for that thing, knowing you're going to enter a tuned response back. Cherished and protected is the core of the we, where you see an essence in that other person that you can't find elsewhere. Sure, they may be, there may be somebody else 6'2", or somebody else that's this or that, right? But um, there's something about them, and you cherish and you protect that. And, and then everybody needs to feel empowered, right? that they have a voice, that they can create their own experience and something that's joint together. From those four feelings, I think, the core of the we is, there's multiple things that create a we, but one of them is shared influence. Do they share influence? Are they co-creating this thing together? Not one driving the bus, not the other, but it's a co-creation. And I think the we is also dependent on, you're keeping track of each other's dreams. Sometimes it's purpose work. And when mm -hmm. you have that beautiful place, where the, you feel safe and comfortable when someone values your essence. If they value your essence, you're gonna to wanna to go out and, and make sure that their dreams happen. You're, you're supporting them. So you're sharing influence, you're co-creating, you're tracking each other's needs. And most of all, it's a place where you can come home uh, and not only share your dreams, but when your dreams get dashed, there's a home port where someone truly says, come here against the storms of life. 
if you've got those things going, you have a pretty good week. Now, there is so much to say about that because this sounds like a dream for many. You say, oh, wow, where is that prince or princess who is able to create a we for me? Because a lot of people feel alone in their relationships and they feel disconnected. And what I find uh, a hallmark is the lack of trust and that they don't trust each other with their heart, with their vulnerabilities, with their opinions. So what would you say is a very simple way for people to start rebuilding trust in each other again? Well, trust, there's research. Trust is, there's a metric for it. Do, if you're in a relationship you trust, you know that they are not going to sell your needs short for their own. They're not going to sacrifice your needs for their needs. They're not going to seek their win at your loss. And the, what establishes trust is when two people value each other so much, they don't seek their own interest at the other's loss. So, and that's a track record. Trust is a track record. You've got to sit down and say, this, what's the most important thing that I need valued and protected? And with the other person. And then you have to make conscious steps to make sure that the most important goal, life, need, whatever it is, that you are making sure your needs don't step on there. That's But what if your needs, well, you say, well, on a scale from one to 10, my needs are a 10. Yes. And the other one says, well, my needs are a 10 too. So then you're an impasse. How do you resolve that? Well, there's a lot of things on that question. But I would, you know, you have to be able, when most people can't create a we, what, what they really do, they walked into that relationship usually thinking, You know, if I have my own back, that's the best deal. Somewhere mm -hmm. in childhood, they learned that, you know, don't trust the we, don't depend on others. And so the, the, the basis of all that betrayal, their fear in the relationship, is they learned a long time ago, I got to have my own back and no one's going to have it. I call that more right to separate than belong. And so if you don't get to that primal fear of, of belonging, of depending on another person, because before it wasn't there, then neither of them, that feeling of distance is safe, <laughs> you've, or not trusting another, you've got to be able to deal with that primal feeling that says, a we doesn't feel so safe, a me feels a lot better. Before you get, if you don't get to that feeling, you can give them all the skills you want, but they won't take the skills and do it because they don't trust in general. You know, this is what I really like about your work. And uh, I certainly feel like this is something that also uh, should be really done by more couples therapists, which is you work also with the individual separately, because exactly for that reason, because you see that at the core of the lack of the connection or the lack of trust or the lack of we is a wound that has nothing to do with the relationship it's much earlier and it's something that's deprogramming and unless this gets deprogrammed we are just stuck in this impasse so we're going to talk more about after the break but uh, yeah let's stay tuned and just work on making our love life work again The Dr. Pat Show. The Dr. Pat Show. The Dr. Pat Show. 
This is it, the energy of heart-to-heart, mind-to-mind, love-to-love. These are the questions that people have and rarely state. When we have an internal transformation and we see things differently, what does it mean to step into the full nature of being a spiritual being? How am I to be? This is it. Every day, you have to do something outrageously positive. It is so absolutely relevant because what I've seen in humanity, despite what's in the headlines, I'm so struck by the heroes that have come forward. I'm just absolutely in awe. The idea generators and superheroes. All of you, you are the best listening audience in the world and we are bringing it in 2021. Welcome back to Empowerment Radio, Dare to Love Again, Making Love Work Again. And I'm here with the expert for all of those challenges that we have been experiencing in our love life, Gary Salyer, who wrote the book, Dare to Love Again. I hope to, safe to love again, sorry. Safe to love again. My brain sometimes. Uh, well, the thing about Gary is that actually Danielle and I did have sessions with Gary. And um, so I can say out of my own experience, they are fantastic. And you should really try to, if you feel, well, our relationship doesn't even have to have a big problem. Our relationship didn't really have a big problem. It was just time for an upgrade. And that upgrade is certainly good to have some help with someone who gives you some different insights and some tools to work on. And Gary is a man for that. So Gary, how can people find you? Well, they can find me at my website, GarySalyer.com. How do you spell it? S-A-L-Y-E-R, Gary, G-A-R-Y, S-A-L-Y-E-R.com. Or just write me at Dr. Gary, D-R-G-A-R-Y, at GarySalyer.com. Either way, it'll you'll get to me. <laughs> and check out the book. It's really wonderfully written. And it's, you know, there are books out there that are kind of teaser books. And so they kind of want you to do the work with the author later on. But Gary's book is just full also of tremendous tools and, uh, and insights that can right away already make a difference. And so I also highly recommend the book. Now, Gary, before the break, we talked about how individual work is really important. And for that, there is this whole talk about attachment and attachment theory, which is a core element of your book. Just briefly talk about these different attachment styles and and maybe help people to understand how they can identify theirs and the attachment style of their partner. Okay. So attachment theory, it's a, it's, a, it's a science about 75 years old. And it's just the science of how your brain gets wired from early experience, sometimes later experience, to love and be loved. So it's the science of how you're loved to be loved. And I call it the rules of love. I rewrite the rules of love in people's brain. And there are rules, so to speak. And attachment theory found out that it started at, in the orphanages after World War II when they noticed that children who had lost both parents, they were in orphanage and they were clothed and fed and they were given all of the things that you need, they were still dying. 
and John Bowlby, a British psychiatrist, said they're dying for lack of a bond, lack of attachment. He wanted to call it love theory, but he didn't think it would sound scientific enough. <laughs> so he called it attachment. And what they found out, they had this famous experiment called the strange situation, where a, a baby one to you know, 12 to 18 months old, actually 10 to 18 months old, they would separate them from their mother for maybe two or three minutes, watch them how they played with the toys and then how they came back, how they reacted when the mom came back as well. And what they found is based on how the child reacted at the reunion, that they, they had, there were three, there are actually four styles of babies. I, the one is disorganized, which is more clinical, but there were three styles and you could track these styles for the rest of their life. The one with the secure baby where that baby, you know, was pretty comfortable, safe, depending and being dependent on their mother, right? And they grew up and they, they felt like, yep, yeah, mom's gone, I don't like that, but they just kind of knew inside, yeah, mom's coming back. We, we, they were safe and secure. They grew up to, to, to be the partners who pick secure uh, uh, partners mm. and they are comfortable depending and being dependent on. But there were also the anxious babies. You know, there were some babies that, you know, when mom went away, they were inconsolable. Like, how dare you leave me again, <laughs> right? And so they grew up, and so they grew up to be the sort of people that say, "Why didn't you text me back? It took you whole ten minutes. Where were you last night? Do you still love me?" And their their worst fear is, "When does love go away?" Mm -hmm. And they're trying to lock it down because they got intermittent. Love was there, not there. Love there, not there. Some part says, I'm going to fight to lock this thing down. Then there were the avoidant babies. Those avoidant babies, they really never got much of a bond in the first place. They learned, man, I better be on my own. So they become, and they're, they grow up to be dismissive of emotions, not the committing time. If they do get in a relationship and they commit, it's like they're on Pluto. Okay, so these babies learned the worst fear was depending or being depended on. They have a flight response. So the three styles that, you know, most people with what I call middle-class craziness have, <laughs> you know, is you're secure, you're anxious or avoidant. And the thing that needs to be said is that if you feel like, oh my God, I'm anxious or avoidant, nobody's wrong. Your brain took the best deal available. At some point in time, that was the best deal. So, you know, we're not making that part of your, your brain wrong. We're just saying it could use a little update. Right. <laughs> yes. And can you switch from avoidant to secure or from anxious to secure? Yes, you can. You absolutely can. Uh, it's, it's interesting. A few years ago, I, I worked with a therapist who had heard me speak on stage and at the fifth session, she had 30 years in the field. She said to me, my God, you've changed my attachment style. I was told you couldn't do this. Hmm. And, the, and you know, before I, I wrote my book, I, the, the big thing in the, in the field was, you know, how do you get back to secure if you've been anxious or avoidant? Uh, and, I, and just giving a label anxious, avoidant, secure, you know, that in five bucks might get you something at Starbucks. And a label doesn't heal. It doesn't restore. I can still remember being a few years ago at a party in Marin. And it was a community, a growth community. And someone invited me, about 40 people. And 20 of them had read the book attached, the 
classic book back in the 2008 that introduced it. And it's really good at giving labels and describing, but not much of a road back. And I can still remember one man saying, I stopped reading the book halfway through. I go, why? He said, because he says, I realized I was avoidant and I had this invisible sign above my head that said screwed. And there was no hope to ever mm. change that. And that was when I said, I'm writing my book. <laughs> well, I'm glad you did. There is a road back and it's these four feelings. You, you know, if we are given these four feelings I talk about, welcomed and worthy and cherished and empowered as a little child, those become templates, they become rights. And we, our brain begins to pick people who give them back. And then that be creates, we trust love. And then we pick people that are trustworthy based on that being our GPS. The bug in the program is if you were given unwelcomed or unworthy or uncherished or disempowered, your brain will use those reference feelings too. And then you go pick someone that makes you feel disempowered or unworthy. And then you don't trust love so much. So the key is to restore these four feelings that are the, the, cent the central post of all love. If you can feel welcomed and worthy and cherished and, and empowered again, you won't find a taker. You won't find someone who dominates you because you're using different feelings. If you can change those four core feelings, you can change an attachment style. But it certainly needs to also change how you relate to yourself. Because yes. I'm sure an anxious person, as I know from my own practice, that is a person usually who also doesn't feel worthy of love, very often feels, you know, not good enough. And an avoider can feel the same way. It's just like they are more scared of getting this kind of connection and rejection. So they are avoiding it right away. So would you say that a secure attached person has more, on average, sense of self-love than an anxious or avoidant? Yes, they do. And, you know, the funny thing in my work, I almost never tell someone to go love themselves because, <laughs> you know, what I do is if you can restore that feeling, the secure person was welcomed with joy and they automatically give welcomed, right? The secure person feels worthy. So they know they can reach out for their needs and because they feel worthy, they give it right back. You know, they give back cherished, they give back empowered. You know, the best definition I heard of secure was a, a woman had been married 55 years and she was on my stage and her husband. And I asked her, what's your one minute sound bite for what makes a 55 year marriage tick? She goes, oh, that's easy. I take no BS. I give no BS. <laughs> <laughs> and she wouldn't, she wouldn't think of giving it. And she wouldn't mm. think of taking. I know because she was an energy worker and I was late for one of her appointments and Uh, and I was an hour late because Siri drove me the wrong way. And I get in and we're good friends. She, she goes, well, okay, Mr. Hotshot speak across the country. My time is just as valuable as yours. <laughs> good for her. Good boundaries. <laughs> you know, and I thought, I, uh, she's living it. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, one thing that I want to talk with you after the break is the loneliness people are feeling, especially right now. And, yeah. uh, And I think the loneliness has a lot to do also with this not only yearning for love, but uh, the disconnection from oneself and just feeling like I'm not enough. My company is kind of boring. I need someone else. And so what I want to ask you after the break is what are good strategies to, to start putting yourself out there again? So many people say, I don't want to do the Zoom thing and online and I don't really know what to do. And 
Do you have any suggestions on how people can, especially those that do feel uh, anxious and avoidant, how can they start during these more difficult times where an organic way of connecting pretty much, you know, is limited or doesn't exist? What can people do to still find love? So stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you struggle with fear and anxiety, you know how powerless and stuck these emotions can make you feel. You've tried everything, but nothing helped you overcome these blocks. Dr. Friedman Schaub, award-winning author of The Fear and Anxiety Solution, created a special program which helped thousands of his clients to become healthy, happy, and confident again. Learn how to eliminate negative self-talk, let go of your emotional baggage, and replace limiting beliefs. With Dr. Friedman's accelerated program, you can break through your challenges. Visit thefearandanxietysolution.com. Did you know that when we talk about the Earth's ecosystems, the most important ecosystem has been left out? You, we created the ecosystem approach to recapture human potential. Find us at theecosystemapproach.org. Join us every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time for the Ecosystem Approach Show with Jason and Patricia on TransformationTalkRadio.com. back to empowerment radio we talk about love and before the break i just asked gary about how do we date during times of very limited ways of connecting even times of lockdown and so many people feel the need to find a relationship find love because the loneliness is excruciating so can you give us some dating tips gary sure <clears throat> so you were saying something very significant before the break you know, COVID is an emotional amplifier. So if you've already walked in with a wound of feeling unwelcomed, right? Unwelcome is, you know, you know like the wound I used to have was my mother did refuse to even name me. I was so unwanted <laughs> for the first three weeks. If you And so unwelcome was a feeling that for many, many years just traveled with me, right? And junior high, I thought I was the nerd. That's just another form of unwelcome, right? Of course, I was a little bit back then, <laughs> you know? But if you walk in with a feeling of unwelcomed or unworthy, you know, if the unwelcome people, oh no, it's just another example, I can't connect. The unworthy people go, see, see, I, I'm not even worthy to have a connection. Why didn't I have one walking in here? Whatever feeling you walk in with, if it's, you know, more distance or disempowered, oh no, here it is again, I can't make any choices. That will get amplified. When any of those insecure feelings come into the uh, COVID, it's like an emotional amplifier. And it just, and it does, COVID is, is kind of wicked on what it does to our own sense of self-esteem. It makes us feel disempowered, unworthy, distanced. Now, and a what that leads to for a lot of singles is that feeling of hopelessness, especially hopeless. How can I even date at this time? Oh my God. And for all singles, it's the exact opposite of couples. Couples get too much right to belong to each other. And, and the singles are getting way too much right to be a me and no right to be a we. No right mm -hmm. to connect. It's, it's, a, it's the worst of all worlds for both. Uh, too much me, too much we. With the singles, but you can date. And I, and I think 
you know, one of the salvations here is online dating it used to be swipe left, meet someone new, meet someone new, meet someone new, right? And we didn't value the quality of connections that were lying right before us because there might be someone better at that next swipe left, right? And now people are noticing, well, you can't meet them also. The good news is people are noticing, I've got to really get to know someone to see if I can trust them. That's a huge bonus for COVID. It's teaching us to actually swipe down and get to know each other. So what you do, if you're, and I've, I've had several of my own single clients have used this successfully. You spend two or three weeks on Zoom, having Zoom dates, 20, 30 minutes, maybe 45. Don't do the five hour versions where you get false sense of intimacy and then people freak out because they shared too much. But you do that for two or three weeks until you can feel, get a feel for their lifestyle. Do you trust it? And of course, if you have any medical conditions, you need to talk about that if you want to meet somebody with your doctor and, and determine your comfortable risk level. If you've got anything medically going on that's more suspect, by all means, talk about that. But after you've gotten a chance to get a feel for somebody, you've, if you hear them saying, yeah, you know, I can't meet tomorrow night because I'm getting together with my 10 buddies for a card game. <laughs> you've got a problem, right? Or you hear, yeah, I'm going to go and see my grandchildren at the big family reunion. <laughs> you know, you've got a problem. So, but if you get a feel that they're trustworthy, they're honest, they're open, and you like this person, then at that point, after two or three weeks, you get a feel for their life, how much you trust them. If both are willing, then you decide to, you can, you know, you can quarantine if that's necessary or, you know, and then you can create what I call a temporary couple bubble. Mm -hmm. Temporary couple, all couples have this bubble that keeps a lot of different influences out and it's a safe place inside. And you choose to radically you know, social distance, wear masks, the whole thing to make sure the other person is safe. And so, you know, you may say, okay, I will not go to that card game. I will not go to that reunion. I will wear a mask. I will cut down anybody that comes in my, fan, you know, my house. And when those, and now when they've created this medically clean space for each other, now they can get together. If they feel like they can hold hands. If, if they want to, they can kiss, <laughs> you know, you know, and it doesn't mean they are married. I had one client that did it for about five weeks with a guy, made a couple bubble, went out seven dates, and then they realized we're not quite fit for each other. But they had a normal dating sequence, so to speak, right? They got together, went out about seven times and realized, well, really two really wonderful people. That was the successful couple bubble. I really like what you just said about swiping down because uh, – I think this is really the the lack of choices may also lead to simply you know focusing earlier on something that feels right and not just you know having 20 or 30 different options available at all times which I think for our heart and our mind is just overwhelming and so just being able to say well this feels good so let's see where this goes uh, and giving it a chance and not just saying oh I go one time and then I'm going to have tomorrow somebody else and the day after and somebody else. I think that can also maybe lead to an acceleration of a connection that before may have not really been possible because we're all just too distracted and our intention spans are just a little shorter than, uh, than normal. So, yeah, that, that may be a benefit of this whole COVID situation. 
Well, there is, you know, Barry Schwartz wrote a book called The Paradox of Choice. And the research shows that when people have more choices, they're actually less satisfied with the choices right. they make. And the, the guy that wrote the preface for my book, Paul Kirk Brunson, uh, we did a show together, closed out a bar in Berkeley till about one o'clock afterwards, because we just hit a connection, right? And he used to have an elite matchmaking uh, service in uh, Washington, DC. And he told me privately, he says, we used to give people six really quality matches so they can feel like you know they had some really good choices. We were giving them value for the money. And what we found out is when we gave them six, they would be a little more flippant. They would just go through the profiles and they just kind of look at it and they wouldn't take any of them seriously. And some they would date and they didn't, they didn't date. He says, so then we realized, he says, I thought about the research by Barry Schwartz. So now, even though we could have given them six, we gave them two. Two is now, oh, these are two. These are precious. These are important. They were careful. They went and they, when they went on dates, they were far more circumspect and they were more respectful. And what he found out, he says, more people made long-term ma uh, uh, matches, you know, <coughs> and commitments out of getting two than six. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's what's going on online. We think, oh, you know, the kid in the candy store. If you've ever taken a kid in the exactly. candy store and given them a buck to get whatever, they can't make a choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I think in general, you could, you know, curse COVID or you can see it as an opportunity, as yes. an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to maybe uh, also change your priorities a little bit, reflect on yourself, your relationships. But one of the things that a lot of, couples are dealing with is one being anxious and the other one not really knowing what to do because maybe anxious because of finances or health issues or family that may be ill. What would you suggest? What are kind of the good strategies when one is suffering and the other one wants to support? In what way? Let's say for example, one has lost a job and they're really down, depressed. And the, the, you know, the spouse says, well, I want to help, but I don't really know how. Should I just say, hey, see a therapist? Should I sit down and uh, you know, be like the cheerleader? Should I be the one who just listens? What would you say usually is what feeds the relationship the most? Well, everybody that will have lost a child or got overwhelmed by losing a parent or a friend Will, will have a different set of needs. That's basic attachment theory is really attuning to what that person needs. But in general speaking, you know, you know what I tell couples, and you're talking, and this is more of a couple issue. Yeah. Uh, when they're dealing with the, you know, the bottom line of what COVID is doing, um, is you have to make all feelings okay. And in general, you have to have a contact, all feelings are okay, but only one person freaks out at a time. One has to hold space when the other is bouncing off walls if they lose their job and they feel hopeless or scared. And you have to have regular times, self, you know, we call them stress relieving conversations. And they're especially good for COVID, where four or five times a week, you sit down, you don't talk about the relationship, you just talk about what's going on you, and you're attentive to their feelings. You don't try to fix them. You say, wow, that's how you felt? Tell me more. What's the worst part of feeling? I think, you know, if you're a couple, you have to be able to just really hold space to those feelings. Ask them what they need. And part of the we is just ask. 
and then be of support in whatever ways they need. Uh, and the big thing for couples is you know, to let them know that you're there for the long term with them, that no matter what's going on, you're in it together. I can still remember one couple I worked with. I was working with her. I was being referred to her for business. I wasn't working on love and relationships. They're at a VIP day. They flew in. And her, her, and she told me her husband was a soulmate. Uh, they had a great marriage. And he flew in just to be of support. <laughs> so, uh, and at one point, they were talking about this, uh, this legal issue they were in. Uh, where they were, you know, and... And they both turned in unison without batting an eye. And they said, and if, but if someone comes after us or one or the other says, and they turned sideways and they said, we're, we're in the foxhole together, guns blazing. <laughs> they did it in unison. They were, they were so orchestrated that they just knew no matter what happened, they were together. They had backup. And if someone has yeah. lost a job or lost a parent or, or lost a friend to all this stuff, you know, which is one of the other consequences that's, uh, that comes here. If you know that someone's in that foxhole with you and loves you, that's the, all the difference, how you go through it. That's but that I think is exactly what uh, is so important. The, the sense of, I have your back which doesn't mean I'm going to have the solution, doesn't mean I'm going to fix it, doesn't mean I'm going to you know, somehow lift you out of this, this going in the hole, which can you know, eventually be a foxhole, but sometimes it's just a hole of feeling bad, a hole of sadness or anxiety, and just having your partner share this with you and listen to you. I mean, I think that is a fascinating and wonderful tool that you shared with us. And I really, you know, still really, we both benefit a lot from that uh, stress-relieving conversation. Yeah, it's, it's one thing doing a crisis alone. It's another when you know somebody has your back. One of the best things, I have a best friend from third grade. And during my first divorce, I was just hopeless. And I, and I just remember, I was in my early 30s. And he said, no, Gary, you're not alone. He says, my wife and I will always have your back. <laughs> and there was just something knowing about that that gave me the courage to go, to dare, to go, to rebuild. Right. Uh, right. Human beings don't do well in isolation. That's the worst thing I fear about COVID. We still have to find lots of ways to belong. That's why uh, I'm doing all these podcasts, so that the world mm -hmm. knows that, that we can get through this together. Even if we're isolated, you and I are of being of service. We're working together and our audience is working. And just notice for just a moment, we are in this together. We are sharing our wisdom to a lot of people. And those people are getting support from the universe called Friedemann and Gary. This is how we get through a crisis together as humans. Now, there are things that, and we are skipping the break, Olivia, there are things that seem to be not really so easy to do together, which is when one person goes off the deep end, for example, <laughs> believing in flat earth or QAnon or whatever they are just dabbling in, and the other one just says, oh my God, what happened? And... I have actually several couples that are dealing with that. And what is your recommendation to help someone who feels like I'm losing my 
spouse to some kind of a weird world, warped world, or can even be like a, you know, a cultish way of thinking. What do you do? Uh, how long do we have for that? That's <laughs> just a few cliff notes. <laughs> the, the, the cliff note version is that's a really hard one. And I think you have to simply, you, you, <clears throat> most people I've seen get involved in these conspiracy theories have more avoidant tendencies. I may be wrong on that, but I'm just my own anecdotal. And, and what? I, in my own experience with them, they have more avoidant tendencies. Mm. Okay. I may be wrong on it, but my own anecdotal experience suggests that. I think the only thing you can really, really do is say, honey, you know, there is a bridge too far for people. You know, honey, this is tearing us apart. You know, how, you know, and I've seen it over and over again, that suspicion comes into the relationship. It comes out sideways. And I think you have to just say, honey, is this really worth our family? If that doesn't pull them back, I don't know what does. I think in that instance, you have to pull them back with gravity. Do you really want to lose your family for something that may not be? They're seeking a form of belonging. You've got to be, I think you have to pull them back with a stronger form. The only way to beat one magnet is to have a stronger magnet. You have to be able to pull them back with more belonging. That's better. I mean, it is a little bit like someone dealing with a drug issue and really saying it's either the drug or the alcohol or it's us. And, uh, you know, I guess having to put really that on the plate and saying, you know, this is just a, a no uh, acceptance uh, situation where I cannot follow you and I cannot accept you going deeper and deeper into that and either you're going to be with me or not. I mean, would you say that is okay to put that really on the line? In those instances, sometimes you do. <clears throat> I call it the ghost of future, uh, Christmas future, <laughs> right? Where you have to show them if things don't change, this is the outcome. There mm -hmm. is a place for truth telling. Um, those type, unless you've got two people involved in that conspiracy theory, the other one is getting freaked out. Mm. And there is a bridge too far. And that can be one of them. <laughs> and they have to know, is it worth it? Uh, and if they choose otherwise, there's not much you can do but to, pr to protect yourself. If you're the spouse, that that's the bridge too far for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, another challenge that I think comes up often uh, is the the bridge to reconnecting uh, the intimacy or bringing the intimacy back into the relationship, especially the physical intimacy. So you're yes. married since you know 15, 20 years, and you feel like, well, you know, we lost a little interest, and you know, we are good friends, good roommates, good parents, but somehow that you know spice and passion is not there. And yes. Often it's a man who feels like, well, we don't really have the frequency that we are supposed to have or that, you know, I want to have because I, I don't know, in your uh, experience, often men tend to express more their love also through physical affection and especially through sex. And yes. uh, women may, on the other hand, feel like, I don't really feel like very connected to you. I don't feel like we have a real romance going on here. So I don't want to just, you know, have a physical intimacy if that's not there. So there's an impasse. How do you start bridging that? Any, 
you know, one of the things I use when I talk to couples, I on the first couple of sessions just ask how the sex life is going. Because for me, when I'm working with couples, the sex life is the canary in the mine shaft. <clears throat> it's kind of the first thing that goes when the marital friendship leaves. Uh, sometimes there can be specific issues if somebody was molested or raped, you know, that can, so that a full right to what I call love and be loved isn't there. It's, it, it's sometimes you get more right to feel partnership than passion. And, you know, you hear it when somebody, a single says, how come the hot ones and the good ones can't be in the same package together? <laughs> you know, we, you know, uh -huh. we have a right for partnership and passion. You know, Julie right. Gottman once defined marriage. It's friendship with nudity. So, but you can't, that's usually when they've grown distance and you have to solve them what's called the marital friendship. Get them back. Whatever's that distance, that lack of romance, they're not meeting each other's needs. They're not listening. They're not empowering each other or they don't feel welcome. What If you don't feel welcomed in a relationship or you're going to welcome someone into your body or you want to be welcomed into somebody's body, Probably not, right? So you have to go and what I do is the marital friendship <laughs> is actually those four feelings. Uh, how, did the, how does that couple give welcomed and worthy and cherished and, uh, and to give them back a right to have pa partnership and passion? You have to work at that deeper level. Do they, do they have the, are they given the feelings? And is there anything going on, you know, from childhood wounds, these attachment wounds, they don't, Maybe they don't have a full right to have that. And then you have to go back and find out, you know, what part of the brain said, no, nope, physical intimacy isn't all that safe. And mm -hmm. you have to go back and rework that, you know, and sometimes that can be worked. But a lot, most of the times I'm, I, I find out with couples, it's the erosion of the marital friendship and they just grow distance. And, uh, uh, you know, I've, and I've seen it on both sides. I've had two couples come to me that hadn't made love in eight years. And for one, it was the woman that didn't want it. And for the other one, it was the man that didn't want it. So um, you'd be surprised how equal it gets to be. It, we tend to think that it's mostly women, but it's 45, 55. It's pretty close. <laughs> uh, what's yeah. going on. But don't you feel like everyone, especially in a relationship, has a need to be touched? And sometimes it's also this pressure that one or the other is feeling, oh, as soon as we go into touching each other, it means like, oh, now we have to do this and I don't really want to. And do you ever recommend just to have intimacy with an agreement of not going into sex, just keeping it into a you know, way to get used to be connected again? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, there's been research done on this on this Friedemann, uh, they did a study, uh, and it's multicultural, it's not just one culture, where they found out that if, if a man was willing to really kiss the wife when they left the house and when they come back, I'm not just a little husband peck, but like a good six second kiss that gives a hit of oxytocin. And they checked in during the day with a little text message or heart message or called five minutes over lunch. And they gave, you know, non-physical, you know, non-erotic hugs, right? Uh, that means they didn't grab for body parts, right? And if they were able to have that sort of sustained, really nice kisses and beautiful endings and exits, I can't wait to see you the night. And they checked in 75% of the time, 
those men initiated sex, they, they walked away a happy man. Mm. Now, contrary to that, the, for the guy who, who every time he hugs her, he's grabbing for body parts or he doesn't hug her at all. And he doesn't kiss her and he doesn't say, honey, I'm leaving. I'm, I can't wait to see you. Doesn't check in the day. Doesn't do any of that. That figure drops to 6%. <laughs> wow. It's, it drops off, the, you know, 75, 6. This mm. is the power. Now, what is that? That's welcomed with joy. Honey, so glad to see you. You know, the, you know that's worthy. You know, she has a need just to be hugged, not just for her body's sake, right? right. That's cherished. We've got to wait. I'm going to check in with you in a day. <laughs> you know, I mean, those. that's what we're giving you. The, with those three feelings there, of course, empowered will work too, right? Then she says, wow, this is a great relationship, right? Yeah, I feel and I think that's the important about seeing the relationship also as, you know, multi-layered and uh, realizing, and I think something that you often say is, uh, you know, the small things really make the big difference. It's not the big disagreements. It's not the big issues. It's like these small little gestures, these small little moments that uh, I feel can really enhance or also break a relationship. Yeah, I call it managing the moment. Most people think it's these big things, right? But it's the little moments. It's the just, you know, you know, the smile when someone's, honey, do you have the, can you give me the peppers? And you, and you just smile when you do so. It's the, or it's the little side glance that says, I'm upset with you. That you and then two hours later, you're having a fight over something else, but somebody was reacting to that. I mean, that's what I told my son at his wedding. I had to do the toast thing, you know. And he said, can't be 20 minutes, Dad. <laughs> and, and all I said is, this is a big moment. But, you know, what's really important is the small moments. If you can manage those little small moments of connection, disconnect. Did I hear? Did I, did, I, did I respond back? Or did I turn away or turn against them? You know, did I pick up that little hmm and say, honey, what's going on? These are the little moments. Yeah. And, most love is lost in the little moments times 10,000, not some big one. Well, we could talk for another two hours or longer, I'm sure. But unfortunately, we have only one minute left. So is there one little wisdom that you want to share about love with the listeners? You know, I think the biggest thing is what we just talked about. Love is won and lost in these little moments. And the biggest thing I leave for all of my listeners is... You know, you're worthy of love. Whether you're single or couple, you were born worthy. You don't have to do anything to deserve it. You were born worthy. And we have an epidemic of hopelessness and unworthiness out there. All sorts of things. Well, if you didn't do Pilates, maybe you need to do this or that to really be fit and for, you know, all that other stuff. Just know that you were born worthy to have the beautiful lasting love where you feel welcomed and worthy and cherished and empowered and lovable, you know. And if you can reclaim that, that's the first step. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Gary, for your wisdom and for your work. And Gary, they can find you at GarySellier.com, right? Yeah. And there's a free gift. There's a new video. They, they can choose a video that says uh, a package of 14 videos, little three and four minute videos. It's called Love Inspirations. And uh, that will help them, inspire them, and give them some specific tools on how, whether they're single or a couple, 
to have a better relationship. So that's my free gift to everybody. Well, everyone, check it out if you want more love and better love in your life. And so thank you so much for listening and uh, thank you for tuning in. Make sure to focus on love in the next few days. Really think about, am I happy the way I am receiving and I am sharing love or do I really need some help to have some improvements here? And for that, you can always reach out to Gary or me to get that. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to Empowerment Radio with Dr. Friedman Schaub. Join Dr. Friedman every first and third Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, as he addresses some of the most prevailing challenges of our daily lives. To learn more about how Dr. Friedman's personal breakthrough program can help you overcome fear, anxiety, and low self-esteem, visit thefearandanxietysolution.com. Views expressed on this program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station, its management, or advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio.